It is a start. Uh, you know, when you talk about a faith journey, a person's faith journey, uh, everybody's story is a little bit different. Uh, last January, I was starting to feel a little bit of fatigue and exhaustion uh, putting together online-only services. Uh, the team had just finished you know, the gargantuan effort of putting together our first online-only Christmas Eve service, which was really incredible. We had more people engaged with that online service than the previous six or seven Sundays online. It was amazing. Uh, it was uh, it was a really big event that we were able to pull off last year. We put a lot of work into our Christmas Eve services because it's that kind of one day of the year where people just seem to be more open to faith experiences. They're more open to maybe going to church and seeing what it is all about. And all the hard work that our teams do pulling off a huge service like Christmas Eve is always worth it because without fail, Every Christmas Eve, there's a few families in attendance who decide that they're going to come back in the new year and explore this faith thing that's been awoken inside of them. All the hard work of what we do here is made worth it when those people decide to explore their faith here at Fort City. And last January, after we had finished this big online service, and no in-person services were in sight, I was feeling a bit down that maybe those families, those people, those individuals who would normally connect with us on Christmas Eve and come back weren't going to find a meaningful way to connect with our community. And then, late one night in January, somebody messaged our Google business account, Fort City Church Google business account, and the message was simple. The message said, I don't know very much about Jesus, but I think I might want to become a Christian. His name was Daniel. Daniel is here this morning. And uh, I talked with Daniel a bit uh, over Google, and I invited him to join me at Starting Point, which coincidentally started that very week that he reached out. Uh, he joined us for Starting Point, and after five weeks, Daniel had not said a word to anyone, very quiet guy, and I was starting to feel that maybe he wasn't really enjoying starting point. And then on the fifth night, he came early and he took me aside and he said, Lucas, I've been thinking a lot about this. I think I know enough about Jesus. I want to decide to follow him. And right there in the lobby, with our masks, our faces covered, but our hearts full, Daniel decided to follow Jesus. You know, everybody's faith story is a bit different, but all of them have a start. And this Tuesday, we're starting this eight-week class called Starting Point. And, when, and whether you don't know anything about Jesus or you've been a Christian your whole entire life, it might just be exactly the starting point or the restarting point your faith needs. And so I want to encourage you, just like I said, come to Soul Care Conference. I, uh, I would love for you to attend our starting point class that starts this Tuesday. You could go to the same place, fortcity.info, to sign up. You know, the best part of Daniel's story comes after. Uh, it was a few weeks later. It was the last night of our eight-week starting point class. And right here in this room, we set up the hot tub 
And in the presence of the 12 starting point people, Daniel was baptized right here. And then I invited him back to my office the following week, and we were going to take his first communion ever in his whole life. And he showed up with warm pretzels, cheese dip, and a bottle of red wine. (laughs) And we had communion, and it was the best communion I have ever had. For Daniel, it wasn't just enough to know about Jesus, right? It wasn't just enough to know that somehow the life and death and resurrection of Jesus changed history. For Daniel, it wasn't just enough to have it all up here. He wanted to do the things that Jesus wanted him to do. And that's what this message series is all about that we're in right now. This is what we do It's not just about what we know, it's about what we do. And like Daniel, we must take the things we know about Jesus, the things we know about our faith, and we need to actually do them. And we're working our way through the book of James right now. James was a particularly practical uh, sort of person. He got straight to the point. He didn't waste any time uh, dressing it up with fancy stories or anecdotes. And, And if I'm telling you the truth, to preach from the book of James is kind of difficult for me because I like stories. I like narratives. I like to weave a point into a really long story from Scripture. Uh, but you can't do that with James. There's no story. There's just do. Do this, do this, do this, do this, over and over again. Uh, he makes his point and he moves on to the next one. Uh, now, we call what James wrote the book of James. Uh, it's one of the books in the New Testament uh, section of your Bibles. Um, but really, when James sat down to write this document that we call the book of James, uh, he wasn't sitting down to write it to have it included in the Bible. When James wrote this, it was, very, it was one of the very first uh, New Testament books written uh, in our Bibles. Uh, when he sat down, the Bible didn't exist. The Bible wouldn't be compiled in the way we kind of know it for another couple hundred years. And so when he sat down to write the book of James, he was really just sitting down to write an instruction manual for a, a new church that was in its infancy, that was fresh, where people were doing all kinds of different things. And James is trying to rein everybody in and say, this is what we do. This is what Jesus' followers do. And his book isn't really about reasons why you should follow Jesus. There's a whole bunch of other books in the Bible about that. The book of James is, what you should, is, is a book about what you should do once you've decided to follow Jesus. And last week we looked at the first part of James, James 1 to 8, uh, where James encouraged the church to be ready for troubles and trials and even count them as joy because trials and troubles, we know, build character and strength and endurance. In the next few verses after that, though, James shifts his focus from something that is beyond our control, something like trial and trouble, to something that is much more within the realm of our control. He shifts from trouble to temptation. James tells us this in James 1, 13 to 14. He says, and remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong. And he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Temptation comes from our own desire. There is something about human nature that always seems to want to shift blame. 
And when you've made a mistake or you've done something wrong, we frantically search for this external reason as to why we did it. But it's, it's that reason's fault. We search for someone or something else to blame other than ourselves. We see this, right? You know, if you have kids, you see this really clearly in our kids. You know, when you ask your kid why they hit their brother, you know, the answer is always some variation of they. They hurt my feelings. They were mean to me. They made me do it, right? That, that's, that's how our kids respond to us when they make mistakes. The answer is never, well, uh, Dad, I was angry, and I couldn't find an appropriate way to manage my anger, and so I did something that I knew was wrong, and I'm sorry. That's, your kid, your kids, if your kid talks like that, you're doing a really good job at parenting. But it's never that. It's never, it's my fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And when it comes to fault, we prefer it to be somebody else's, right? It's obvious in kids, but us as adults, we, you know, we do all sorts of mental gymnastics to, to blame others for our bad decisions. Uh, Brene Brown, who tells this amazing story of when she was working in the kitchen, and she accidentally knocked an expensive glass bowl off of the counter. And before it had even hit the ground and smashed into a million pieces, she had already found a way to blame her husband for it. Right? The mental gymnastics that we're willing to do to blame other people, um, we can't underestimate it. The first step towards overcoming temptation and sin is acknowledging our own capacity for evil. That somewhere inside of us is a brokenness that desires, that wants bad things for us. And Jeremiah, he was an Old Testament prophet, and he was lamenting about this very idea when he wrote these words. He said, it's tough, tough to read, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. He wasn't a very positive guy here. Who really knows how bad it is? Jeremiah and James are just reminding us of what each one of us is capable of a depth of sinfulness that we really would rather not admit. The devil didn't make me do it. I did it because I am capable of doing wrong, and I didn't stop myself from doing it. Acknowledging that temptation and sin is no one else's fault but our own is the first step to overcoming it. James goes on. He says, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us uh, drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Temptation drags us towards sinful actions, and sinful actions are always destructive. And this is an often overlooked part of sin, right? It, it, it isn't just that it's a, it's, we're breaking some sort of law or that we're offending our Creator. Sin is actually harming us. It's not good for us. It's not healthy for us. Sin hurts us and hurts those around us. When we lie, right? When we cheat, when we judge, when we hate, it's bad for us. It's bad for us. It leads to death. It is destructive. And even when that sin feels good in the moment, it almost will never feel good the next day. 
Last week at our soul care course, Drew uh, Wilson shared a really funny story uh, from his childhood. Uh, Drew and I lead Starting Point together, but we're doing soul care together right now as well. Um, and, you know, Drew has this really powerful way of using simple stories and really easy to understand pictures to describe really hard to understand concepts, right? He kind of speaks in a way that the every man can understand really difficult ideas. And this week he talked about how when he was a kid, he, uh, he was working on the family farm. Uh, it used to be his job to lead one of the cows out to the watering trough uh, every morning. And so what he'd do is he would take uh, like a, some string or twine and he'd wrap it around the cow's neck and then he'd hold that twine and lead the horse or the, the cow uh, to the watering trough. Well, one of these days, Drew was doing this in the morning all by himself. I'm, I'm not sure. Drew, how old were you? Teens? Okay, he was a teenager. I'm going to pretend he was seven. It makes the story better. <laughs> so Drew was seven years old. And, uh, and he's got his hand in the twine guiding this cow out towards the watering trough when something spooks the cow. And it takes off. And unfortunately, Drew's seven-year-old little hand got caught in the, the string around his neck, and Drew got dragged all over the yard, through the mud, the cow kicking and, and scaring him, and he finally was able to get himself free, and he laid there all covered in mud and bruises and blood, just glad that he was still alive. And this is the picture, though, that James is painting for us here, right? That unchecked temptation isn't just passive. It, it, it can catch you by surprise and drag you kicking and screaming somewhere you didn't intend to go. Temptation isn't dormant. It, it isn't innocent. It is dangerous. It wants to drag you towards sin and towards destruction. And that's what James means. He says temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. And these desires give birth to sinful action. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Okay, so temptation can drag us towards sin. And, and sin is destructive to us and to our relationships. So what is it that we can do about it? We must have a better strategy prepared than just don't give in, right, to temptation. That, that's not going to be enough when temptation comes. My last few years at the Suncor Fire Hall, uh, I was working as the shift training officer, which means I was responsible for organizing uh, training for the shift that included, you know, fire and medical and more specific things like rope rescue and hazmat. Uh, one of the, my favorite things to organize for training for the shift was vehicle extrication, which is where we use big, heavy hydraulic tools to cut apart cars to rescue trapped uh, patients. And so I had organized to have some vehicles brought in from the scrapyard. And um, when they got dropped off, there was a pickup truck that they had flipped onto its uh, roof. And I didn't want to do that training. I wanted it on its wheels. And so I got a guy to come with a heavy loader and a front-end loader and to flip this truck over uh, onto its wheels so we could do the training with it on its wheels. And uh, that went well. Flipped the truck over just fine. Here's the thing, though. When a truck is on its roof, uh, it doesn't need an emergency brake applied. And so then when you flip it over onto its wheels, you do need that. Uh, and if, some, if you had foresight, you would have put the emergency brake on beforehand, but I did not. 
Uh, I don't know if you know where the training grounds is at Suncor. It's on a big hill overlooking the plant. Uh, we flipped that truck over onto its wheels, and it took off down the hill towards very explosive plants, you know, down at Suncor. Uh, it, it rolled about 500 feet before coming to a stop uh, in a kind of flat area. And let me just tell you, uh, my performance review that year didn't go very well. Uh, you don't let a car travel 500 feet unmanned uh, and, get a, and, you, and get a raise or a promotion. When it comes to avoiding temptation and sin, if you're not ready for it, if you don't have a plan, if you haven't thought ahead, if you're not prepared to flip temptation onto its wheels, and you don't have a way to put the brakes on, it's going to take off on you. It's going to drag you somewhere you don't want to go. One of the things I've heard Doug Balzer say, Doug Balzer is, uh, who, and Doug and Terry are the ones who are coming up to lead our Soul Care Conference in two weeks. Um, Doug was actually a pastor here when I was a kid, so it's really cool to have him come back. Um, one of the things I've heard Doug say is, bad thoughts can't be erased. They need to be replaced. And I think he's onto something here. This is good advice. It's not just enough to say, don't do this. We need to replace it with something that we should do. And James has just talked about how easy it is to get caught off guard by temptation and sin and how bad it is for us. But then he shifts gears a bit. This is what he says next. He says, so don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God, our Father who created all the lights in the heavens. Don't be misled. Don't be dragged along by temptation and the, into sin that is so destructive. Instead, turn to what is good and what is perfect, the gifts of God, our Father, the gift of a God who loves us. And, and this is the important part, a God who wants the best for us. He doesn't just want us to avoid sin, he wants us to embrace the fullness of the good life that he wants us to have. This is what Jesus was talking about in John 10.10, 10, the verse that Adrian shared today in the soul care invite. He said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. When Jesus says stuff, we can believe it. This, we can believe this. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This is what Jesus wants for you. Temptation and sin, they want to blow up your marriage. They want your kids not to like you. They want you to ruin your friendships. The thief, he wants to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus wants you to have a healthy marriage. He wants you to have kids who love and respect you. He wants you to have meaningful, healthy relationships all over the place. He wants to help you find a rich and satisfying life. Don't just run from temptation. This is what James is saying. Don't just run from temptation. It's bad. It leads to sin. That leads to death. Don't just run from it. Turn towards something better. That's the plan. You know, my parents, they, uh, they grew up in a generation where preachers liked to preach sermons that we've kind of labeled hellfire and brimstone kind of sermons. They, these preachers, they wanted desperately for people to choose to follow Jesus. And so they started employing this tactic of trying to scare people into following Jesus. Kind of like saying, if you do these things, something bad is going to happen to you, right? If, 
If you don't do what I say, something bad is going to happen to you. And I'm convinced these preachers meant well. And the truth is, it worked a little bit. I mean, my parents are Christians. And, and you know, and they, you know, hellfire and brimstone was part of their early Christian life. But I, I'm not convinced that that's going to work anymore. I don't think it's going to work. People don't need preachers to make them afraid of one more thing. I mean, there is enough to be afraid of these days, right? All we have to do is look at Facebook, and there's fear-mongering on there. Look at the news. There's more fear There's so much to be afraid of. People don't need preachers to add to that. We don't need to focus on the things that we aren't supposed to be doing. We need to focus on the things that we ought to do. We can't erase those temptations and those desires, so we need to replace them with the life that Jesus wants us to live. Our faith must become less about about what we don't do and more about what we do. I'm gonna, we're going to, in a few minutes, have communion together. We're going to close out the service with a bit of worship, and so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up now. Our faith must become less about what we don't do and more about what we do. And this is a major shift that we see in Jesus and in the New Testament uh, early church. When Jesus showed up on the scene, you know, the Ten Commandments that had been given to the Israelites when they had been rescued from Egypt, these Ten Commandments had ballooned into over 600 written and verbal laws. And those 600 rules were a lot of thou shalt nots. Right? Thou shalt not murder. That's a, that's a good one. We should listen to that one still. Thou shalt not lie. Uh, thou shalt not steal. These are, these are good ones. But then somewhere along the way, it was, there was thou shalt not wear clothes mixed together of two different fabrics. And, and, and thou shalt not get tattoos. And, and, and even thou shalt not eat bacon. Come on. Right? When Jesus showed up 2,000 years ago, God's people had somehow become so focused on all the things they weren't supposed to do that they had totally forgotten all the things that they were supposed to do. They had become obsessed with avoiding temptation at the expense of living a life of purpose. Don't miss the blessing that God has in store for you because you're so focused on the curse that you're trying to avoid. This is what we do. We turn away from the sin that so easily entangles and towards the life and adventure that comes from following Jesus. Let's take a minute to pray. Jesus, we this morning are very thankful at how much you love us and that you have promised that no temptation will ever be too great. And you will always make a way out for us. And we thank you for these words of James that, tell, that reminds us not just to turn away from t- temptation, but to turn towards you. The gift of love, the gift of life, the gift of hope and peace that is in your loving embrace. Jesus, we acknowledge that we are sinful, that there's something in us that drags us, directs us, entices us towards unhealthy decisions. And Jesus, this morning, I pray that you would help us course correct, not just turn away from what entices us to sin, but to turn towards you, the one who wants to give us life and life abundant. I pray this in your holiest names. Amen.